0: And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast here in Los Angeles. We have about 8 to 10 games left in the regular season for every team. The West race is completely inscrutable. It blows my brain away every single day. We checked in with Jeff Van Gundy before the season, in the middle of the season, and now it's time for our end of season check-in. Where in the heck are we going in this crazy NBA? Coach Jeff Van Gundy, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I am hanging in. So you were at the scene of the crime last night in Dallas. A scene that I have never witnessed anything like before. One of the strangest things I've ever seen. When the Mavericks thought it was their ball, the Warriors figured out it was their ball and inbounded underneath the Mavericks basket with no Mavericks there and laid the ball in. The Mavericks are going to file a protest saying that there was a communication breakdown at the very least. I believe the video shows Mark Cuban coming up to talk to you guys during the break. What did he say? What did you hear? Like, what the hell happened? So when
1: the ball went out of bounds, initially uh, the official pointed that it was Warriors ball and they would have it under their own basket. Then he pointed to the Mavericks. They say they were saying that it was just timeout, Mavericks. It was a you know automatic timeout. The PA announcer, I believe, said it was Mavericks' ball.
0: That was out. That's what I was going to ask you. Did the announcer say? I and I'm. I, our- I had my
1: headphones on, but I had people tell me that the announcer said it was Mavericks' ball.
0: Our NBA Today production crew has the audio. We're going to play it on the show in a couple hours. They are telling us the announcer indeed says Mavericks' ball, which. That's a mistake, but it's a loud mistake. Everyone hears it.
1: Right. So then there's confusion when they come out of the timeout. The Warriors, if you look at Looney, he thinks he's going the other way. He's going to go to the wrong basket at the other end. The Mavericks are a little bit stunned. They think it's their ball, so they're sort of milling around half court. Now, what should have happened is the official with the ball should have never inbounded it. The lead official should have come and, and taken control and made sure that the Mavericks knew it, no it, it's Warriors ball the ball's going this way so that everybody could get lined up that I don't I think the officials thought it too was going the long way and that the Mavericks were then going to defend the now they won't admit that no but they totally mismanaged the situation. And there is no chance that Mark Cuban's winning the protest. I think it costs $10,000. He's not going to win the protest, but he has every right, as does his team, to be upset. And they should be upset with themselves a little bit that they didn't react quicker or whatever. But the offici- officiating crew could have and should have managed the situation better.
0: What did Mark say to you guys? Was he just outlining what their understanding of the situation was? Was there profanity involved? How mad was say I would say
1: there was more beeps uh, than other words. But basically, I'm I'm paraphrasing here. Initially, when we came back on, you know how they cut it short now where they, you know, sometimes you come back in three seconds um, into a play. Yeah. Right off TV. I don't know why that works the way it does in TV, but it does. Anyway, they're playing a Steve Kerr timeout like video. So on our screen, and I was looking at the screen so I could hear what Kerr was saying, there was no play show. And so then when I looked up, the Mavericks were taking the ball out and going up the court, which is what I thought was supposed to happen. But then I noticed the score was different. I'm like, how'd the score change? So then that's when you're starting to like, what really happened? And we went back and we saw it. And Cuban came over at the quarter and basically was saying that it was mismanaged. And he told me, and I said it on the air because he told me to say it like he wanted it out there that if they lost by two points or less, that they were going to protest. And that's why I said it. And, um, You know, and I I think he's going to go through with it. He may change his mind, but, you know, I, I understand his frustration because as you highlighted to start every basket, every quarter, every half and every game is so important to either making it or being in the play in or not
0: making it at all, which is a, you know, a lot of money at stake. I didn't realize that you broke the news on the air, Jeff Van Gundy. I was watch. I was on countdown last night, so we had a million TVs going on. The I think we were getting the audio from a different game. I didn't realize you you scooped everybody. Well, I didn't really scoop. I just repeated what he said. But you know what's funny? That's a scoop. That counts as a scoop.
1: No, but what's funny because I don't know these journalistic things. Uh, people sent to me after the game, like uh, I, I, I guess tweets from different NBA people that said sources confirm that I'm like sources
0: Mark Cuban said it to me. And I said it like, of course, I mean, you don't need a source. You got the owner. He's the pocketbook. Amazing. Funny. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you. I don't think they're going to win the protest because the NBA will say, no, look at the, if they already said it in the pool report, look at the official, he signals warriors ball. It's not our fault that he then bang, bang signaled the other way with like a, like, like a first down signal that maybe, was indicating a Mavericks timeout, but also looked like he's pointing that direction. It's not the league's fault that the announcer then interprets that mistakenly and says, Mavericks ball for the whole world to hear. It's not the league's fault that the Mavericks line up in some weird way and that Jordan Poole takes the ball from the ref very smart. but The best play of Jordan Poole's season, by the way, I think, is taking the ball from the ref and inbounding it immediately. The league will just say, that's not our fault. It's a communication breakdown across the board. But I completely agree with you. And if I were Mark Cuban, I would protest it too because I, I what I agree with is this. It's the ref's job to notice something is amiss and be like, this is not normal. This is the – last night was the biggest game of the NBA season to this point. It was the most important game. The Warriors have another game of separation over the Mavericks. They win the tiebreaker. It's a massively important game. It's a one-point game all the way down until Curry makes that layup to put him up by three, and then it becomes a little bit of a free-throw contest. I would protest it too because the refs – like, you should know this is not correct. Something is amiss. Let's get everyone on the same page, fair play, and go from there. And I think it's not like a I, I think Mark tweeted something like this is the worst mistake I've ever seen in the history of Earth. Like it's it's not that bad, but it's bad and it's massively costly because we're gonna get to the West in a second, but I, I don't need to tell you, coach, like the Mavs are thirty six and thirty seven. They're four and eight in their last twelve games. They're three and six when Kyrie and Luca play together. It's only nine games. They lost Jalen Brunson in free agency. Then, because of that, traded their third and fourth best players from last year's conference finals team to get Kyrie Irving, who, by the way, can walk in free agency. And if anyone thinks they know what that guy is going to do in the offseason, I would love to know because I I don't think it's predictable. And they're now ninth in the West. Like, if they lose in the play-in and Kyrie Irving walks, and I'm not saying either of those things are happening or likely to happen – That is a DEFCON 1 situation in Dallas. That immediately becomes a flashbulb, all eyes on the Mavericks. What do they do with their cap space situation? And last night's game makes that situation X percent more likely because, you know, they're going to have to win some games to get out of the play-in now. It's a huge, huge loss. Well, I think what you said is so correct.
1: The league is going to say it's not our fault. And it isn't the league's fault. The officiating crew, there are a lot of things hard about officiating. That's not one of them last night. That particular play is not one of them. They thought the ball, no matter what they will cop to or not, they thought the ball was going the length of the court. They got confused just like the teams were. And that's where the avoidable mistakes have to be dealt with and they, I'm sure they will be dealt with and there will be a behind-the-scenes reprimand because, as you said, a hugely important game, a totally avoidable mistake that was mismanaged by all three officials. And, again, that's not the hard part. The hard part is officiating all the contact and what's a foul and what's not. and You know, I mean, all those things are super hard. That one isn't. It was mismanaged. I would just love to see... An official come out, you know, in those pool reporter things and kill it and say, I
0: screwed up. The pool report was one question long. Like, is that, is that, do you get to ask one question and then like a group of henchmen escort you out the door and that, and that's it? Like, I don't get a follow-up. You know, the thing I've always, I I don't know if, if
1: if, everyone would agree, but like when you're coaching, right. And you're getting on a guy for a mistake and he says, he, re- he, he takes it harder than you You even did, like, yeah, I screwed up. That's my fault. You don't keep going on the mistake. You say, okay, let's move on. It's the people that try to avoid accountability for the mistake and pin it on somebody else. That really wasn't my fault. That was Johnny's fault. Then you'll keep going. If the If the official, the lead official last night would have said, hey, Dallas, it was Golden State's ball. We mismanaged the situation. We feel awful about it. We must do better, and we will try to do better. This wouldn't even be a story. I even think Mark Cuban would have said, yeah, you know, mistakes. Like, they happen all the time. Coaches make them. Players make them. Officials make them. It's just, I think for some reason, officials or or how they're taught to, like, sort of in the moment not take accountability, even though they may think they screwed up. I don't agree with that. I just think they should have just killed it last night and said, We screwed it up.
0: Also, some of these quick ejections lately, the Scotty Barnes one, the Terrence Mann one the other night. Like, can we just chill out with these like instant just throw them all out? I disagree. I disagree. I I think. Again, I wasn't there for each
1: one. Right. So Scotty Barnes, if he said you're cheating us.
0: What do you want the man? What do you want? Well, the why do? is Luca not ejected for the money signal that that's I, even worse? I don't know. I, yeah. I don't think they saw that. I saw that. I I didn't,
1: I, I know what it means, but like I didn't mention it. Cause I, you know, to me sometimes trying to get into the intent of a player again, it's out of control. How some of these guys talk to officials and, I got into it a little bit with Dave Patch last night in a, in a, in a joking manner, but we are talking about Don.
0: Oh, thank, was, I, by the way, thank God for doing the people's service in that, in that debate, because the guy is complaining after every single call and I, non-call and, and just event of life. Yeah. You know, it, it,
1: the people that complain, every call coaches and players, we start to praise them for like any little bit of humanity that they show the officials, right. Or like respect. Whereas other guys who may not complain often the moment they raise their voice, they're banged with a T and maybe an ejection because it's not normal. I, if I, I think the objective of officiating is to cl- call it as unbiasedly as possible, even though there are, there are many biases out there. Everybody has them, officials, coaches, players, right? But fight yourself on your biases. And when it comes, to technical fouls, have a line in the stand, sand about what is and what's not a technical foul, and I don't even mind like Body Barnes thing because it's late in a close game. If that official says I'm not doing it now, but I am going to screw you to start the next game, I tell you that right now. Take it back to you. That that's old school refereeing. <laughs> that's old school. I will get you when I, when I can but I'm not doing it right now because it punishes the whole team and the game. So I, again, I think, and I ask, I I always say this on the air and and probably too much. I don't understand why the officials take what they take. And I don't understand the inequality of what they take being dependent on a certain player. I, I don't get it. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. And I think that if they would have said a, a a harsher, and I hate when the players didn't say they won't even communicate with us. Some of them, some of these players don't deserve communication because they're not respectful in their communication. They what they want is, and coaches too, they want to be able to say in any tone of voice to a referee and then have that referee stand there in a calm manner and talk to them. And I disagree with that. If you want respect, learn to give respect.
0: I guess I would say the players are competing and the referees are not competing. The referees are competing with themselves and their own standards. The players are trying to win a game, so their temperament is going to be a little different. I don't want to get into an officiating thing. I guess no, no, ref- but I want,
1: I want to say one more thing. I agree with that when it comes to physical confrontation, when it comes to player on player. Like, I hate when they hit them with the double T's when it could have easily been like, hey, let's just separate and keep going. But I do think there has been... um an uptick, a huge uptick in the amount of verbal abuse the referees are subjected to and are expected to take.
0: Um, I guess the remedy for this protest were the Mavs to win it would be in a very short time period, the season ends in like two and a half weeks, to replay the last 13 minutes of the game with the score as it was in Dallas with the with the Mavericks aware that the words about to inbound the ball. I'll tell you, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be great theater. It would get great ratings if we had to go back to Dallas and replay 13 minutes of the game with, like, net, all of this at stake. I think the the uh, proverbial toothpaste is out of the tube, and the Mavs are just going to have to take a very, very big L on this one.
1: ESPN did a great job today. They had the, what, seven winning pro or whatever it is in the last 50 years, and it was fascinating to uh, to read about him. Uh, the Shaquille O'Neal one was fascinating to me and he was traded. So they went back and played the X amount of uh, minutes. Uh, but I, I just, it has no chance, but it, it would be great theater.
0: All right, let's do, I don't even know how many big questions, some amount of big questions with Jeff Van Gundy for the rest of the season. Are you ready? Yep. Question one, How worried are you about the Denver Nuggets recent slump, particularly on defense? And the framing of this is, in all this chaos in the West, it ain't going to be this chaotic every season. Some teams are going to have their SHIT together next season and the season beyond. The teams that have their SHIT together now have a great window to win with the conference in total chaos like this, the latest chaos being Paul George's injury, which we'll talk about. So the pressure is on Denver. They feel feel like a a rising feel-good story. They're here now. They've had a kind of weird month. Their defense has slipped. They've righted the ship with wins over some bad Eastern Conference teams three in a row. How worried are you about their defense with Jokic as the centerpiece of it?
1: Well, I think you have to be concerned. They're going to get good shots. That's number one. They will get good shots against any team in the NBA. Jokic is just that good. They've You know, Murray and Porter and Aaron Gordon have been terrific there because he knows if he cuts, he's going to get the ball. So I think they're going to get great shots. Defensively, I think they should be concerned, not because of the last month, but they're just not a gifted defensive team. Uh, they, They don't have a lot of natural gifts from their best players defensively. Scheme only can take you so far. They're incredibly well coached, but it that can only take you so far. I like what they did with Caldwell Pope, uh, Bruce Brown. like they've done what they can do, and now, you know their best players have to be really, really on point defensively. I think every top the top three teams in the Western Conference, if you told me they lost in the first round, I would not be shocked.
0: Wow. So Denver, Sacramento, Memphis, losing to some combination of the Even teams. In the top
1: four. Like if Phoenix plays the Clippers, and let's just say everybody's healthy, I think Phoenix is probably the most talented team in that scenario. But, I mean, if you're playing the Clippers with George and Leonard, I mean, you have a chance against anyone. So it's, uh, I think the higher rated teams in the West are, are all vulnerable. Whereas in the East, I don't see the you know top four seeds losing. I, I think they're going to win. Cleveland may be a little bit vulnerable, depending on the matchup, but the top three seeds will breeze in the first round.
0: Yeah, I think um, before the Paul George injury on, what is that, Tuesday night, I think the Clippers, if it were even possible, and it's just so tight that I don't know that you can manipulate things to this degree, I think they would have loved to find a way to fall into the sixth seed and avoid the Suns in the 4-5, because that's a heavyweight clash. But A, given how crowded it is and all the tiebreakers involved, it's really hard to be that choosy. And now, obviously, you're just like, we just got to hang in where we hang in without Paul George winning enough games. Um, I've talked a lot about Denver lately. I-, I think their offense is just so good that I think it is possible to win a title with, like, an all-time great offense and a slightly above-average defense. I think you can win for a playoff series that way. The Mavericks are trying to, if they get in, win with kind of a lesser version of that same model. Like all-time great offense and their defense is just, I mean, they are a teensy, teensy team. They are not a good defensive team. They're worse than Denver by a lot. Um, I think you can win it that way, but I do think maybe you're a little bit more vulnerable to the vicissitudes of matchups than a team that's like, fifth on offense and fifth on defense i think if you run into a team that can exploit your one glaring weakness or one of your weak spots and the sun's loom is that kind of team i think for denver i think that makes you a little more vulnerable but look it's it's there for the taking it, it is and it isn't i mean all these teams are not great but none of these teams are are bad um well let's just go to the next question then um The next big question for Jeff Van Gundy, assuming Denver is a yes to this question, how many teams right now, to Jeff Van Gundy's eyes, in the top, I guess we'll say top 12 of the West, so from Denver to New Orleans, how many do you think can realistically win the Western Conference and go to the finals? And you can start at the top and go down. Denver. Okay. Memphis. Memphis is still a yes, despite the jaw drama and the absence of steven adams and brandon well, clark
1: I, i'm taking everybody as if they're going to be full
0: strength well brandon clark's out right so brandon right. clark i mean i'm talking
1: full strength as far as who's possible to come back okay if steven adams isn't able to come back that would lessen their chances significantly to me um so i'm going to still put memphis in there
0: i will say before you go down the standings in all the jaw melodrama which is serious stuff. I don't mean to to minimize it. It's serious stuff. I think the Adams Clark injuries have just been totally under discussed. As just they just tear away at what that team is, the fabric of that team, bruising, ferocious, rim attacking. Like it's it's a big gaping hole that they've managed to fill with Aldama and Roddy and Tillman, who's just a, just doing yeoman's work every game for them. And most notably, the other thing that's been under discussed with them is. Jaron Jackson Jr. has blown up on offense. And it's a trend that's been going on all season. This has been his best offensive season. And in the absence of Morant and in the absence of Clark and Adams, he has ascended to another level. And so I agree with you. I can't count them out if Adams comes back because Jackson is reminding you, oh, yeah, this this Morant-Bain-Jackson thing is like a legit big three. So I I also – if I think they need Adams – because he gives them the offensive rebounding piece that they're really dependent on, and they don't have it without him. But if they get him back, I, I can't count them out in this conference. They're, those three guys are that good. Yeah, and
1: they need that offensive rebounding. You know, with all the drive and attacking they do, they need the offensive rebounding as bigs come to help on the misses, just, you know, clean it up and get, you know, second shot attempts. So I think they can. Uh, certainly Phoenix... Could uh, uh, Golden State State could? I want to say the Clippers, but I I do. I I think they're people, for whatever reasons they haven't put together much good basketball this year, and so I'm going to give them the pass. You know, Golden State. They
0: our our, say, our preseason pick, our mutual preseason pick, the Clippers yeah, to make the finals. Yeah.
1: Um, I do like, uh, golden state with an outside chance. If Wiggins and Peyton get back, if not, they're not, they don't have enough. Um, and I think that wraps it up.
0: Okay. So let's go through the teams you said no to, you said no to Sacramento. Correct. Why? Uh, defensively. Just don't think they don't think they have enough
1: don't think they have enough I think they uh they've had an incredible year Fox has been great I love Sabonis's um Sacramento's versions of Jokic uh just incredible offensive talent they surrounded them with uh more shooting uh you know the herder trade was you know he's got to get back for them but the herder trade was under talked about, I think Monty McNair has done a fabulous job and Mike Brown and his staff have as well. Um, I just remember back all the criticism they took for the Halliburton trade and no one's coming forth and saying, all right, I misjudged it. I misjudged not only how it was going to unleash Fox, not having to share the ball, but I didn't really realize how great Sabonis was. And I didn't realize, I believe maybe in your, one of your columns, how much that trade allowed them to then go out and get herder as well. Um, so I, I think he's done an expert job in renovating that roster. I just don't think they have enough defensive components to go through and win it.
0: So to your point, I just wrote a big thing on the Kings. And I talked to Justin Holiday and Sabonis, who were both traded in that deal. And they told me, We were on the flight. They were in Atlanta when they got traded from the Pacers. And right away, they flew from Atlanta to Sacramento to get their physicals. Like, the Kings needed them immediately. Holiday was like, I've never been traded and played this fast. And they were like, you know what? Let's see what on the flight. They're like, let's see what the internet is saying about this trade. And they log on to Twitter or Instagram or wherever people under 30 are reading what the internet says about a trade. And they both are like, oh, my God. Everyone hates this trade. And Sabonis and Holiday look at each other and are like, are the fans going to boo us when we get there? Like They started to get worried that the Kings fans were going to boo them because Halliburton was so beloved. And so let me ask you the devil's advocate about about Sacramento. You have Denver as a yes. Denver has the number two offense in the NBA and like the 15th, 16th defense. The Kings have the number one offense in the NBA, but they're 24th in defense. Denver can win and Sacramento can't. Is it just their, their defense is... St- a degree worse to you than Denver's and maybe their experience level too is it a combination of all that stuff
1: I would say for me it's a combination of home court all the way through so uh is number 1 Jokic uh you know he's going to be the best player on the floor and to me and quite possibly every playoff game he plays in this year ooh, I think that's- ooh. Second round against Phoenix? Well, we'll see. It could – I mean, it's possible. I can't say – because I count durability a lot more than a lot of people. I, 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 You know, being available to me is important. And that's not the discount. You know, obviously, Durant's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Uh, Booker is a, is a Hall of Famer. Chris Paul, you know, he doesn't – you know, he's a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying – Jokic can be the best player on the floor. I don't mean by debate. I mean in any one game. Gotcha. He can play the best of any player on the floor. Every game. Every game. And and Durant can too, by the way. And Booker could too. But I'm just saying, when you have that, you have a confidence about you. Like, bring us home, big fella. You know, we'll figure out how to get a, a couple stops in there. You just make every right play like you do. And we'll ride you to the finish line. Um, So I do think they're more experienced as well. Home court, Jokic, and a little bit better
0: defense. You said uh no for the Los Angeles Lakers, who are now one game under 500. Uh, We are going to get a LeBron health update today. Our Dave McMenamin has already reported on SportsCenter that the health update will be a ramp up and that there is hope within LeBron's camp um, that he could play in some or all of the last three games of the regular season before the play-in, playoffs, whatever the Lakers end up playing in, if anything, after the season. Um, they have played quite well since the trade deadline without LeBron. Uh, they are now starting Austin Reeves, who has just been playing phenomenal for the last two months. Um, you really don't see a pathway with LeBron and AD and and what's been going on there? Because I, I look around at these teams and I'm like, I mean, my thing with the Lakers all year and with a lot of these teams have been you can win a playoff series. Like, they're good enough to beat any of these teams four games out of seven. Any, top to bottom. Agreed. Winning three is just a completely different animal. But but no team has anywhere in the West has come to I, – I kind of – that underlying that sort of line of thought was – some of these teams will click into place and come together in a way that makes them so formidable that that can't win three playoff series thing feels like a real thing that hasn't really happened. Like I, like I, but I, I guess you're a no on the Lakers. Well, the Lakers with James and Davis this
1: year, haven't played particularly well. Um, I, I, Austin Reeves has turned into a free throw machine in the last two games. He's an excellent player. I like Schroeder more, more than, than most. I love his intensity. I love how they added. I thought uh, Rob Polenka and his staff did a terrific job adding energy and shooting uh, to their lineup. So they're most certainly ta- more talented. I, I probably should give them uh, like a puncher's chance at it. So you're probably right. you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis –
0: and a new team that makes sense around them. Yeah, and,
1: and and a much better team. I I think you're right. They they deserve a puncher's chance. I still don't see. You know, a high probability that no a they could stay healthy, and b that they could win. Are you talking about win the whole thing or win in the west?
0: Win the win the west. Let's stick okay. with the west because those okay. beasts yeah. in the east are are. are... Yeah.
1: So I think the three teams in the in the. East are going to be whoever comes out to the prohibitive favorite, no matter who comes out of the West, other than Phoenix. I think Phoenix has a, if they're healthy, they have the, the depth of talent uh, to match up with anybody. But so, yeah, I guess the Lakers do have a puncher's chance. I would just say behind those other teams in my mind.
0: Yeah. Phoenix is my, uh, lately I've been polling everyone on the podcast. It based on what we know now, health-wise, who would you pick to come out of the West? Phoenix has been my default pick. Assume, my assumption is Durant will come back for a game or two or whatever it is at the end of the regular season. I just kind of default to them. Uh, you're a no on the Dallas Mavericks. Another defense depth Yeah, and they're
1: just tiny. I mean, like they have two phenomenal individual offensive players and they just don't have enough. Defense, size, rebounding. I mean, they got pounded on the glass last night by the Warriors, who are a very tiny team as well. So,
0: And they um, were playing big last night by Dallas standards. That was like a big Dallas team.
1: Yeah. They just had a lot. You know, the when you lose uh, a player of Brunson's quality and you you don't evaluate your own roster correctly, like you think he's – You know, they could have had him for 14 million uh, last, you know, for a long-term 14 million per, which would now would be an absolute steal. But for whatever reason, they weren't able, they didn't either want to do it then or they didn't think they could do it then. But that, that leaving in free agency started the whole process of what you've seen. I thought they were brilliant, brilliant last year, getting Dinwiddie. Um, so I thought they had enough then, you know, bigger. Dorian Finney-Smith, great versatility. Um, but now you look out there and you're just like, Kleba doesn't look healthy right now to me. He's not moving particularly well, shooting particularly well. If they're going to make uh, noise, it's going to have to be because Irving and Doncha just make them unguardable, which is possible. And then Kleba, to me, has to – give them like a defensive presence where he can help with the rim protection. can switch on some screens, you know, like he switched last night late and Curry just, you know, blew by him and green did a great job of sealing the help off in the lane and just, you know, shot a layup. So, you know, they would need Kleba even to me to, even, to win a series. Like they're going to be in games. These two are phenomenal offensive players, but, they're tiny, and they're, they've are got no defensive presence.
0: Yeah, when they made the Irving trade, I understood why they made it. Sure. My initial reaction was, I don't buy them as a title contender as is. Perk and I disagreed on that one. He, he called them a title contender. I said, I can't go that far. And also, I just said I, I would be out of the Kyrie business, but that's just me. Um, but the other night against Memphis, when Luka didn't play, they played a lineup of Kyrie – Hardaway Jr., Jaden Hardy, Davis Bertans, and Christian Wood. And you're just like, you just have no chance. You have no chance to defend or rebound. Zero. All you're you're just praying that they miss and that you go, you guys go crazy. And they just play too many lineups where you look around and you're like, they just have no chance on defense, on the glass. And, and if it weren't for what Jaden Hardy is doing, and I think this is a real thing. I think Jaden Hardy looks like he's going to be a player. And I don't know if he's going to be a 20 point scorer. But he's got game, he's got craft, he's got guile, he's got a 6'9 wingspan, he can shoot it. If it weren't for this, I think there would be like a level of national media panic about the Mavericks right now. But this is like a little feel-good story that's keeping them afloat. But yeah, I've got them out. We both have, so a no on Minnesota, who got Towns back last night, and a no on Oklahoma City. I have a feeling, this is just a feeling, that one of those teams... Is gonna get into the playoffs and is gonna be like 2 2 in the first round against a powerhouse and maybe win a series, and we're gonna be like, oh my god, what just happened? Oklahoma City, I'm real I am rooting so hard for the Thunder to get into the playoffs. I think they're legitimately good. They're super fun to watch. Wing Jalen Williams is a is a stud. And with him and Giddy and Shea, it's just relentless attacks on the rim, creative coaching. You you mentioned Dagnall as a Coach of the Year candidate. I completely agree. He's Everyone's assuming Mike Brown is going to win. I think he's the favorite. I have a vote, so I'm not going to say much more than that. But I, I completely agree that Dagnall needs to be on like the short, 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 short list. I think I'm going to just say it now. One of those teams is going to get in and make noise in the playoffs, and it's going to be super duper fun. But yeah, you can't win. I don't think either one can win the title or win the West.
1: Right. I think there are no powerhouses in the West. And I think, you know, we're talking about how close the teams are, you know, six through 12. I actually think the top three are closer to, you know, four, five, six type of seeds in a normal year. For whatever point,
0: by point differential, they are. I mean, even the Nuggets are like kind of a ho hum, like, eh, number one seed. So,
1: Minnesota, like I think Conley has brought a stability to them. I think he's sort of helped Gobert in what was a challenging transition. I love Anthony Edwards. I think Chris Finch is big time coach, and well done together with over you know Towns' 50 game absence. And uh, so I I think they've done a good job. They're they're talented, and I agree. Somebody could be two two, and I think. You're right. Mike Brown's most likely going to win uh, Coach of the Year and deservedly. You know, he you could never argue with that. But I, I could see a case being made for Oklahoma City having the Rookie of the Year, the MVP.
0: Yes. Coco. Oh,
1: my God. The
0: MVP. Well, if you're – he's not going to win. No. But, see, Shay Coach Alexander is not winning MVP, not but winning. he is – He's on the show. He might make first-team NBA. I don't vote on this,
1: but if you went to the top five MVPs, he'd be hard to keep off.
0: Well, you got the big three in whatever order you want. Giannis, Luka – Giannis, Embiid, Joker, and then Luka Tatum are probably penciled in as the four and the five. But I agree with you. Shea's comment – I'm telling you right now. I think they could win a playoff series if they draw the right team. I think the Thunder could win a playoff series. I I, I might be in crazy, but I think they're good enough to win a playoff series that I'm rooting hard for them to get in. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement – Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Because of the eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, let's go to the next big question because we just, we just mentioned it anyway. Uh, with eight games left, who's your MVP? You don't have a vote, right? You don't have a vote. But if you had a vote, who would you vote for?
1: Can I tell you, I am totally uninterested in that question. And and But it's my podcast, so you have to answer it. I'm going to answer, but I'm not going to answer. I'm totally uninterested because what it's devolved to is comparison has become the thief of joy in that every time someone says about player A they think should be MVP, they immediately don't just stop at how well they've played they then compare them and try to tear down the accomplishments of the guys they don't think should win. And so I have, I don't know who should vote for the MVP because when I look at all-star balloting, fans do an awful job. Uh, players take it as a joke. Coaches give it no thought. And the media doesn't see enough games, you know, cause you're not watching, you can't watch every team, every game. Right. No. So, if you're a stat person, an advanced stat person, Jokic is clearly going to win.
0: If you have a... a I, I think that's less clear now than it was a month ago. He's Embiid has passed him in a couple of whatever advanced metrics of your choice are. He's passed him in a couple.
1: Yeah, but if you look at the totality of it, to me, and then you take the availability. You take the availability. To me, that's all. That's a, But again, I... I I'm just, I'm starting to do what I don't want to do, which is I am i don't want to make a case for anybody. But the recency thing, if you're, if you're into the recency, you're going to look at like Embiid and say, are you kidding me? And, and Adena Kupo. And if you don't really give a lot of weight towards availability, then Giannis may have, you know, one of the great cases of all time. So to me, there's like, It depends on how you look at it, and I don't know. I know it means a lot to the players, and it should. I just don't know who's qualified to actually vote and who will take the requisite time to study it all, to watch it all, and to take it serious um, and, and not come into where they want a certain person to win. You know, Tom Thibodeau, uh, he said after a game, they were talking to him about Barrett. And he goes, if you torture the numbers enough, they'll confess to anything. And I think that's how people like they just take whatever numbers they want to concentrate on and torture them to make a case. I just I just think like I just don't even know who should vote for it, let alone like who should actually win it, because I think everybody you're talking about. And like I said, Gilgis Alexander, I don't think anyone's done more for their team than he could have. Like what he's done for their team, it's amazing. So the Thunder, me, were, the
0: Thunder think. were here this week in LA. I've been in LA all week. They were here. They're still here. They had three games here. There are people around the Thunder who are worried he's not going to make any of the All NBA teams because they're just a 500 team. I'm like, he if he doesn't make an All NBA team, it's like a crime. He might make first team All NBA. Forget any any. Media. Go that media, media, media. I and I'll say this. I so you. So just to be clear, you're abdicating the question. And number one on your MVP ballot is joy and happiness. That's what you're voting for. Yeah,
1: I just, I think, again, and I watch a lot, but what happens is when you watch, if if you don't watch all every game of somebody's season, and and you just watch pockets, which is what like I do, like I don't watch every game of every team. You see a guy on a good night or a bad night and your opinion is shaped versus if you watch every game, like the, like Doc Rivers knows what type of season in beats He's seen every play. Uh, Michael Malone knows about Jokic and uh, Joe Mazzula knows about Tatum and uh, Bud knows about, you know, Giannis. And, and they could all make compelling cases for their guy. And so, To me, one of the reasons why I stopped voting was I just didn't feel like I could see enough to give it the introspection that an award of that magnitude deserves. And that's why I come back to, I don't know who should vote for the MVP. I think it's the coaches, but quite frankly, when you see what they do with the All-Stars sometimes, I'm like... They really punt it and spend no time.
0: So well, they, and they fall into the other trap, which is they've seen eighty-two games of Embiid and maybe three of Jokic, right? And so and yeah, its
1: reputation. It, it, so much is not done on that season, but you know, you know, lifetime award achievements in the All Star game. Well, just, I, I
0: I will say, I mean, I have a ballot, and every year I think about giving it up. And the reason I think about giving it up is the NBA needs to find another way to decide supermaxes and all this stuff or find another voting pool because the media should not be voting on all nba given what it determines it's incredibly uncomfortable for the media it's bad for players it's bad for teams we're sitting here with in our hands collectively jalen brown's eligibility for a supermax extension which is not and, and jason tatum went through this too is not just about Jalen Brown's money, which sucks to be even like point oh 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 five percent responsible for as a voter. It's now also about the Celtics' ability to retain Jalen Brown long term. Like the media should not be in a place where they're determining it with any scintilla of importance, tilting the scales at all in the Celtics' favor or disfavor of retaining a star player. John Morant's Supermax is at stake in All-NBA, and he just got suspended for eight games. Like, we just shouldn't... I don't... And again, I haven't found the best solution for how the NBA should decide who gets the 35% max ahead of schedule. It's not an easy question. Um, They tied it to All-NBA. What else could you tie it to? Who's going to vote it for? There's no great answers to this. I just know it's a really crappy position for everybody involved to be in. And you look at the, and and it and there's lobbying and it's just, it's a complete mess. And I sit here and vote all NBA and, and I'm like, this is, it's just too, there's too much riding on this outside of when it was just an honor. Right. With like, with like some shoe contract stuff worked in like shoe contracts have bonuses for all NBA stuff. But it, when it was just mostly like an honor, that was one thing. Now it's money and it's team building, and it's just, it just shouldn't be on the media's shoulders to or the coaches, or I don't know who it should be on, but it's, it's a really – it's a bad system.
1: Well, and the transparency, um, I don't know if for All-NBA if you vote and it's revealed. Maybe, it is. Okay, it is. Which sets up, to me, confrontational and adversarial relationships that all it is is an opinion. It's an informed opinion that you guys uh, – and I, I know, like, I'm sure you do the same, but when Mike Green votes, he like talks to people, he, I mean, he really like stresses about it because of oh all the God. things that you say. And um, and I, I just don't like, I know the transparency is meant to be positive, but I think in these cases, uh, it's negative. I think they should go back to you vote and it's not revealed who you vote for. And if a guy doesn't take it serious and, and you have unilateral power in the NBA, you, you ask somebody else to vote because I just think it's just, it's too much. It's like people like, and I don't blame them for taking it personal. And if they take it personal, then their families take it personal. Their agents take it personal.
0: And, and it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's, I, I'm just glad I'm not in that business. Um, a couple let's do a couple more big questions um since joy got your mvp vote we'll have we'll have to move on to the next one joy um uh I, i hesitate to ask this question but just given paul george's injury i think it's okay to at least start thinking about it if if the clippers have already missed their best chance to win the title with paul george and kawhi leonard and please clippers fans Know that I said if, because this is a thought exercise. They can still win it this year if he comes back in time. I agree with you, coach, that they haven't really put together like a 10 or 15 game stretch that gives you a ton of faith that they have a championship team in there, but the talent is the talent. But just just to pretend for the sake of just interesting conversation that their best chance was in the past somewhere. Was the trade worth it for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard effectively? All the picks all the swaps, Shea Gildress-Alexander, if it peaks at 2021 conference finals with Kawhi injured, was it worth it?
1: Well, I would think everybody would say no. It wasn't. I mean, I don't don't even think... If you have uh, the advantage of... Hindsight. Hindsight, then no. But I think when they did it, it made complete sense. And it... It was brilliant, actually, that they were able to achieve what they were able to achieve getting, you know, what everybody wants is these huge wings that are multifaceted and multi-talented. And and so it, it made absolute sense. And some things make sense and just don't work out for a variety of reasons. And it's infuriating if you're a fan or if you're in management, I'm sure for the Clippers or on the coaching staff, uh, because you see the possibilities and they've always kept trying to rework their roster to give them a better and better chance but if it does peak at a conference uh champ or you know conference final i i, I would say everybody would say no they wanted better they wanted more but one thing i wouldn't do if i if i was them is i'm disappointed with the results of what it is but I would take a chance on two great wing players in their primes anytime. And so I hope they don't ever regret that they went for it because I think going for it uh, takes huge basketball courage. They went for it. And, you know, to now, it's probably been disappointing for them and their fans. But like you said, If Paul, I mean, there's a lot of ifs, but if Paul George gets back and if Kawhi Leonard can see his way to play in consecutive games and they get stable point guard play and they have enough shooting, I mean, they can be dangerous.
0: Well, Kawhi's Kawhi's been a top five player in the league for the last two months. I mean, he's back essentially to being Kawhi. I think you nailed the answer. I think you nailed it. Um, It it really depends how you look at the question. I think if the results are this, it was quote-unquote not worth it. And there is some chance that this ends up in a bust-ish scenario. And by that, I just mean this. SGA is better than anybody thought he was going to be. SGA is a stud, a superstar, and he was the cost of that trade. The draft equity going out the door, the Thunder control the Clippers draft picks this season via a swap that could come into play next season outright 2025 swap 2026 outright. Another pick has already become Jalen Williams who has a chance to win rookie of the year. So there is a chance that this isn't Tatum Brown bad on the draft pick end of it, but it's still like bad. It's still not great. Um All that said, I just like, I, I can't sit here and second-guess the process. I think this is just a trade. I, I will never forget someone in the wee hours of that morning, we were talking through the trade, and it was the executive on another team said to me, something that is stuck in my brain forever, it could go down as one of the worst trades in the history of the league, and it's a trade you absolutely have to make. And I just thought that that nailed it. And I also think, Coach, the 2021 playoffs where the Bucks end up winning the title was a weird playoffs with like... no crowds or like minimal crowds. I can't remember exactly what the crowd situation was by the end of that because I blacked out that whole period. Um, And so much of the attention on the Clippers run was the end of the jazz and how the Clippers without Kawhi destroyed the Utah jazz as we knew them in a humiliating, embarrassing fashion. And then with Kawhi hurt in the last part of that series. And then – The Phoenix Conference Finals was kind of a letdown. Like the Suns won 4-2. Clippers were competitive. But once we knew Kawhi was likely out the rest of the way, there was this sort of denouement, denouement, however you say that word, where it was just like the expectations were gone. The assumption was the Clippers would lose to the Suns. And I I think the Clippers part of that has been kind of erased from history a little bit. They made their first conference finals ever. Paul George rewrote the sort of mid-career narrative of his career as like a playoff choker, which I thought was semi-unfair to begin with, but he rewrote it in that playoffs. And if Kawhi's healthy, are they the favorites to win the title that season? If, it's, you know, they've already gotten by Utah. Like, I just think that part of it has kind of been erased. And look, you can keep Shea, you can keep the picks and all that. There's no guarantee that roadmap, which looks so sexy now because of how well Oklahoma city is set up. There's no guarantee that roadmap ever leads you to the conference finals. So I think I still think you got to do it, but the results so far have been disappointing. And I think we need to end this segment by saying it ain't over. Let's fingers crossed to pray to the basketball gods. PG comes back sooner than expected and they make a proper run at it. Right. And
1: you can ask the same thing about the other LA team, right? If, they didn't win that bubble championship great point would that have been like i forgot the term you used for the clippers a a disappointment or you know what they traded for anthony davis and and james and all the you know the westbrook trade then and all all these different trades to put that together right i think we would be sitting here saying the same thing you know that it was still something they should have done and you know, you give them credit for going for it, but it just didn't work. And and they they won that bubble championship, um, which was, you know, sort of strange competition to begin with. And, you know, it, so these things, uh, I think that executive who said, you know, it could be, you know, a bad trade, but you have to do it. I think sometimes. You. At some point. You have to, you know, quit quote collecting assets, and try to win. And they did, and I, I give them credit for that. And I, Lawrence Frank, to me, Steve Ballmer, like I don't know what it's going to end up to be. Like you said, hopefully Paul George is ha- uh, healthy, and they have a good chance to do whatever they're going to do. But I love the way they've gone about it. They they keep trying to churn it and and surround those two guys with whatever they think is best. And they got an outstanding coach in Ty Lu And sometimes, you know, Pat Riley used to say this, sometimes you're just born at the wrong time. You know, like you're just you meet up against somebody that's just better than you.
0: Like you're Andy, you're Andy Roddick.
1: Yeah. You know, like he used to say when he was the Lakers, it was the Dallas Mavericks of uh, Roe Blackman and Aguire and uh, all those guys, Derek Harper. Um, but this year, when you look at the West, if healthy, this is what, to me, they've got to hold the rope on. Like, we could win it. We've had a bumpy year. You know, guys are, are not – they're in and out. We we sign players. We release players. We trade for players. Uh, some guys we thought would play a big role don't even play. Other guys were starters. Now they're coming off the bench. Westbrook comes in late. Like, it's all this. and And yet, when they start – and I'll presume they're not gonna start with home court. They could go on the on the road and win game
0: one. They don't care about home court. I, I they just don't care.
1: I mean, they they're good enough. They can go, they can, they can run through it. They could. And that's I don't I don't I don't think it'll happen, but if I was a Clipper fan,
0: I would just hold on to that hope. One day we'll we'll I'll go through all the draft moves and stuff. But because you said they've churned their roster and they have really done a nice job turning their roster, there are some what ifs here and there that are interesting. But it's not over yet. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call. Or click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the Clutch Hits, Strikeouts, Grand Salamis, Web Gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 DirecTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Two more quick big questions. Who is your pick to win the Eastern Conference as of today? I've been Boston all year, and I'm going to go to Milwaukee. I thought you were in Milwaukee with me preseason. You were I Boston. Have, then I changed it. I've been Milwaukee all year. So you're going to Milwaukee. You're off Boston and on to Milwaukee. Why? I just think the depth of
1: talent. Giannis is just I, – I just, uh, he's just so relentless in how he plays the game, and they surround him with – the, you know, just great roster building. Um, They've got a great combination of offense and defense. And I I tell you, I think it's, it's, they're not going to have that second round, whoever of those three teams, right? Like if, if both, let's just say it's the standing stay the same way in Boston and Philly are matched in the second round. I mean, you know how well you're going to have to play to come out of that and then go to Milwaukee and Milwaukee may have problems with I'm not saying that, but I I just think that in this case, the home court of avoiding that that second round absolute power, like the top three teams in the in basketball this year are all in the East and only having to play one to advance to the finals to me is huge.
0: Uh, I, Milwaukee was my preseason pick and I'm just going to quickly name-check four guys who seem to be ascending at the right time. Chris Middleton, starting to look like himself. I'm still so, concerned. I'm concerned. I, you're still concerned? Tell I me have. why. Just
1: movements. Like, I love Chris Middleton. You know, I was uh, so fortunate to be a part of USA Basketball in both the World Cup and the Olympics, and to be around him and Holiday, uh, and, but Middleton twice – I have just such respect for his game, his attitude, just who he is as a guy. But he still seems, particularly defensively, not as sharp and as sure. And so I'm I'm going to hold out on that one. Go ahead. I,
0: I agree with you. He's getting blown by a lot defensively, and he doesn't seem to be moving quite as uh, explosively on offense. He's not really the most explosive player, but his, his elevation doesn't seem the same. But... I'm more concerned about his offense and his defense because I just think they have the ability to, they, with Holiday, Lopez, and Giannis, they can they can absorb a subpar Middleton postseason run on offense. They need him, and I think he'll deliver enough. But they need hopefully. him in
1: the two-man game late with he and Giannis. Like, it's by far, you know, it's been their go-to, you know, put uh, Middleton in a, in a pick-and-roll with Giannis, and it's impossible with Giannis rolling to the rim. You're going to get something good, and, and so – I hope you're right. Uh, I hope he's healthy and ascending. I have so much respect for him.
0: They've been doing a little more of that in the last five games, which is one of the reasons I'm encouraged. Brooke Lopez has been amazing as an offensive threat and not just a three-point shooter in the last six weeks, which I like. Javon Carter has had a really nice season, and Joe Ingles has given them more than I thought he would, making shots, passing, all that. Um, Related to this, can Philly win the title? Yes. I agree i've been saying it all year philly i've been saying it all year philly has everything they need to win the title the road's gonna be hard james harden's gotta show up in big games i, I said on nba today all year they should be offended by how we've talked about them on this show as like this weak third sister in the east behind the two juggernauts they, they they are not as proven as those two teams they maybe don't deserve the same level of benefit of the doubt they don't need Harden to be Houston Harden. That guy is gone. If he can be 20 and 10 Harden, they have everything they need to win the title.
1: I I agree. You know, Embiid is so dominant, such a foul drawer just like Giannis is, right? Which is to me what Boston is missing, that guy who just lives at the line, um which is such a weapon obviously, but particularly in the playoffs. You know, to play be able to set your defense cuz these guys are just just relentless and and they have done a great job putting him be more at the nail and at the elbow and man he's just so good and I think he's a better passer from there than he was in the low post when facing double teams so yeah I, I think they have everything they need they need to be mentally tough they need to be able to withstand some up and down play I think I'm worried about that for our whole league let alone yeah. just be one team, but the ability—that's why I love uh, Milwaukee. To me, they have a level of poise in their best players that are able to play through, uh, you know, challenging times or or difficult losses. But I love uh, the toughness that Tucker's has brought um, to Bias Harris uh, as a fourth option offensively. Has to come through, you know. He has to give him space, and he can. Maxi, you know, is his speed is something that you have to, you know, you better have somebody that can move with Maxi. Uh, and there's no one really that you can just say we're going to disregard that plays in their rotation, like, and we're going to just help and muck up Embiid or Harden's pick and roll. You know, even. Like a Tucker, who's known more for, his, he knows who he is right now, which maybe is one of his great strengths, is he knows exactly what he does well and what he doesn't do well. And I think his year in Miami really helped him offensively. He he did more than just spot up. He went into dribble handoffs. He did, you know, he he sort of kept uh, the offense uh, churning in the right direction. And I think you know Harden, very interesting to me for a great player and a a sustained great player, so much more with Harden has talked about what he hasn't achieved than what he has. And I think Harden has let himself down sometimes um, in particular in the San Antonio series, when they lost at home, uh, they didn't have Leonard, they didn't have Parker I don't know who else they were missing at that time. Maybe Ginobili too. And and he played an inexplicably detached game, right? But you can focus so much on that that you don't see a guy who is just a master craftsman pick and roll wise, who, when you ask somebody, Hey, I want you to pass more, dribble less, get to your stuff quicker like they have in Philly. That's what he's done. So, I think sometimes, you know, it's this choice that we all make. We're either going to focus on the 10% that we'd like to change in a player or concentrate on the 90% that we like. I think certain players, we gravitate towards what we'd like to change. And other players, we just accept the limitations. And I think Harden certainly has his limitations. This is, you know, I thought they had a great chance in Houston with Chris Paul. They missed You know, all those threes in game seven, they had a a, a double-digit lead in both game six and game seven that year when Paul was out, those last couple games. So you'd have to say that was his best chance of winning. But this, this is a real opportunity for he and Embiid. And Embiid, to me, has as much pressure to deliver in playoff games and fourth quarters, which he hasn't done great in. He hasn't done great in finishing close playoff games. So it's not just Harden who has something on but, the line. It's Embiid as well.
0: But here's the difference. With Embiid, he's going down fighting. With him, He's not ever going to just disappear and shy away from the game. If he, if he has a bad fourth quarter in the playoffs, he's going to miss some shots. He's going to miss some free throws. But he's not going to say, well, I just didn't get the ball. The ball didn't come to me. And the Harden stuff, I just think – I, look, he's an MVP. He's a top 75 player of all time. There's no denying any of this. I, I think the spotlight is fair because that San Antonio game you mentioned, it would be one thing if that were a standalone anomaly. He has like five games like that in really, really high stakes moments, including just last season in game six against Miami, which frankly was a Miami team that they should have been able to beat or at least push to game seven. I, I just think... The scrutiny is not this made-up thing. He's got four, five, six games where you're like, "What happened to James Harden?" in like this game where the whole season is at stake. And and so I can I, I think, can
1: I rebut that just a, a little bit though. You may. Uh, yeah. And I'm not being a, a Harden apologist right now because uh, I have those like, like what was that like type of moments. But
0: I believe he was wasn't he hurt last year? A little bit he was dealing with uh the, the still i believe the lingering the wrong, hamstring or calf yeah, or whatever, whatever right. and it was. so the one thing i would say about harden he also had big games last year he had a massive game to help them beat toronto in the first right. round like so so was he hurt then i do i just never I, know how no, to i agree these things amen
1: to that if i if you can't say a guy's healthy when he has a great game and unhealthy when he has a bad game i think we all you know do that so i'm guilty as charged on that good job and Holding me to account on that. No, I'm just but, asking. I wasn't I, holding. I was just asking. No, no, no. I love to be held to account because I don't even buy some of the stuff I say. So I'm glad you did that. <laughs> um, but with Embiid in particular, I think if you study his his playoff games, and I, I got to say, I was disappointed uh, two years ago. Like when he – he could have protected Simmons. And he didn't, and that that was blown up to be something much bigger than it was. Like that play that Simmons made, and and everybody bailed to me on Simmons to cover their own butts. And just from afar, I thought it was BS. And so but it's the
0: same thing. Like that was it was just one play, but it was the culmination of Simmons disappearing uh, fourth quarter after fourth quarter after fourth quarter after fourth quarter year after year after year.
1: Yeah, but like we can just say, too, everybody enjoys him being more, too. They just like him, and he's likable. Like, But I think just because we like him shouldn't mean that we lessen the scrutiny. I, I just think sometimes all of our biases come into play in who we hold, hold to account for their play late and who we overlook and – give some outs to. And I'm not saying um, Harden, listen, of course he feels – he's a great player, though, and I just think, like, he and Embiid getting back, they have a great chance. Let's just cut through it. Like, I think you said it before, they have everything they need. There's nothing – now, they're going to have to go through two great teams to get to the finals. And so – If they come up short, I don't think it's as much a statement on what they been able to do. If they lose in the first round, you know, then there's something that went haywire.
0: Yeah, there's losing and there's losing. And the manner of it matters. If they lose a competitive six or seven game series to Boston where everyone shows up and fights and Boston just better, what can you do? If they lose in five and something un- bad happens, then, you know, if someone doesn't show up, that's a different story. Last big question, and we'll be super quick. The East, 6-10. to 10. We If the Pacers had lost in Toronto last night, the East playoffs would have been pretty set just in terms of the identity of the 10 teams. The Pacers gave themselves a fighting chance. Brooklyn, 6. Miami, 7. Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago. Miami may pass Brooklyn. They have a chance to pass Brooklyn and get to six. Brooklyn has the tiebreaker. Toronto's played pretty well with Pirtle. Chicago, I just can't figure out to save my life. Atlanta is as is meh as meh is. Of all those teams, who has the best chance, coach, of making noise in the playoffs? And keep in mind, they're all going to be playing one of those three teams in the first round.
1: Well, that's why I think Miami's, you know... I'm going to say Miami because I think they could get to fifth too. I think they could catch New York. They have another game with New York. Mm-hmm. Like New York could easily lose to Orlando tonight. Uh, Orlando is, I think Orlando has had a heck of a season. And I think they have, just like Oklahoma City, they have some real talent. And uh, they've done, you know, they got some real talent. So I, I think Miami could still catch. They could catch New York. And I think whoever, again, people will say, like, it's being disrespectful to Cleveland, and it's not. Cleveland's had an incredible year, like really a great year, and they've got a tremendous starting lineup. But they have a little bit of inexperience as far as in their main guys, Mitchell uh, notwithstanding, and I think New York or Miami – Whoever comes in fifth could push Cleveland into a very good series.
0: I, there's, I don't think that's a hot. I don't. Even, I know Cleveland's got the best point differential in the East or whatever. Like, I don't. I don't think that's a hot take. Those teams are good. And I'm Miami, not trying to
1: make it a hot take. I'm just saying, like, what I see with my eyes. Like, I don't think any of those teams that you mentioned has a chance in hell of beating the top three. So it doesn't matter. Like, I, I think Atlanta it, with Trey Young. Um he could go win a game by himself because he's a wizard as far as passing, but I don't see them defending well enough. I just don't think those first three, like I'll be surprised if any of the first round series with involving those top three teams go to six games. I just see them as, you know, the win the first two, lose game three, win game four in a tough, hard-fought game, close them out in game five and move
0: on. Yeah, I think the answer has to be Miami just because of what they've done and how good Butler is in the playoffs. How good Adebayo is overall. I think they need Kyle Lowry to start soon and he's been looking a little better coming off the bench when they, when they have Vincent and Hero on the floor at the same time, they're just too vulnerable defensively. They're too small. Um, Kyle Lowry's not tall, but you know, he's like a brick wall in the he can't post up Kyle Lowry. I mean, I'm not even sure Hakeem Olajuwon could post up Kyle Lowry. I'm being facetious, but that's Okay, I'm good. just gonna say <laughs> That's <laughs> how good. That's how good Kyle Lowry is in the post. Yeah, Hakeem would dream shake and right over him.
1: I think Hakeem today could score on Kyle Lowry in the Oh, league.
0: Okay, apologies to Hakeem Olajuwon yeah. who I think I who I think actually is is like really underrated in like when people discuss the top 10 or 12 players of all time, you better mention Elijah one in that discussion. You yeah, better exactly. mention him. Um, it has to be, it has to be Miami. All right, coach, you got to go. It's just a pleasure doing these check-ins with you. We'll probably have to do another one. I'll make you do another one in the finals. At some point I try, I know you're busy. I try and keep them sparse, but this is three for the season. They're all delightful. Thank you for being a scoopster on the scene in Dallas last night and for all your work on TV, it's, it's tremendous. Thanks for, thanks for slumming it here with me. You got it, man. Thank you for having me. Take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.